Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby, and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved and sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod. Wade Cooper, for the win, it's on its way, it's on its way, it's gone, Wade Cooper is the man. Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, we're diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly, and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Oh, yeah. I'm your host, Mitch, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ando. Ando, how are you this evening? Uh, pretty brain-dead after about four hours of marking this afternoon, but I'm, it's good to be here and to talk rugby, take my mind off uh, ancient Greece. <laughs> ancient Greece is where you've been, okay. That's well, where I've um, been, mate. That's where you've been, and, and we will be travelling tonight to New Zealand and also over to Scotland to talk about the Wallabies and the Wallaroos, so... This will be a around-the-world journey for some, which will be really exciting. Um, and why don't you run us through our social media platforms, and then we'll sort of get into what we're going to do tonight. Yeah, easy. So, guys, you can just hit us up anywhere, basically. Go to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Search for Pick and Drive Rugby, and you will find us on those platforms, probably most active on Twitter and Facebook. So, make sure you get involved. Give us a like, give us a share, give us a follow, and uh, get in touch. We love to have a good old chat. Uh, additionally to that, we have started, or Mitch has started, a Super Brew competition. So, Mitch, why don't you take us through the Super Brew results for this round? Yeah, fantastic. So if you are interested in joining us for the Autumn Nation series or the Spring Tour, whatever you want to call it, we do have a Super Brew comp up and running. I did miss the first game this week. Uh, uh, I didn't put my tip in for that, but I got the Wallabies game. So that's all that really matters. So if you are interested (laughs) in joining us, I did put a link out on our socials last week. and I might do another one this week, but just type in pick and dry rugby into Super Brew and we'll come up. Um, This week, the yellow cap has gone to Harrison Dale. Now, there is a little asterisk there because we don't know if Harry actually exists. There has been some talk that <laughs> he is a bit of an enigma or a uh, fake account by his brother, Nelson Dale. So, asterisk there whether this yellow cat is actually legitimate or not, whether uh, it is Harry or it is Nelson that gets the chockies there. So, just take with that what you will. Uh, and in second place, we've got Mero. And in third place, Ray Ray Stroh. So, well done to both all three of those people uh, for for getting the tips in this week and for getting those great results. Right. Well, for tonight, we're pretty excited to be able to go through some excellent games across the weekend. As we should all know by now, the Wallaroos unfortunately went out in a quarterfinals with a brave, but um, I'm not going to say it was inevitable, but it was a bloody hard match uh, against the Red Roses outfit. And then Wallabies versus Scotland. Wallabies getting home with a last gasp win before we then travel into the locker room to answer your questions and comments from you, our fans. So, Mitch, why don't we jump on into things and start with the quarterfinals with the Wallaroos? Let's go. 
It's time to talk some rugby now, and we'll focus on the Wallaroos first, and they did unfortunately go down to England 41-5 on Sunday afternoon, uh, 30th of October, uh, Rugby World Cup 2021 quarterfinal is unfortunately over for the Wallaroos. Now, this was a very tough game for both teams. We do have to say that from the out, that the rain was torrential. And I actually haven't seen a, a professional rugby game being played in conditions like this for a long time, just in terms of how much water was on the pitch. And every time the players stepped, there was visible water splashing around. It was very, very difficult. It it was really, really uh, a sight to see because similarly, I have not seen a a game played in those types of conditions. And it was incredible. Um, Whilst they're standing there singing the national anthems, the players are just already absolutely drenched. Um, It was almost comical in how heavy it was raining so that definitely impacted the quality of not the quality but the way in which the match panned out and we already knew what england uh, were capable of in terms of the big ball running power game that the red roses can bring and unfortunately the conditions um reinforce that. It was really, really hard for the Wallaroos to get any traction within the game and to um, get any territory up against these big, strong English runners. Yeah, there really was a lot of unforced errors, but it wasn't just the Wallaroos that were suffering from that. England also dropped a lot of balls that literally from kickoff, um, they spilled spilled the ball and there was a scrum and that scrum went down and then there was a penalty. And so no, neither team for that first, really that first 40 minutes was able to kind of get into a groove and to let their sort of systems in their game plan take effect. And you could see that from some of the Wallaroos players, particularly that there was just general frustration that the ball would never get past kind of the the 12 channel because as soon as it was one or two passes down the back line, it'd get knocked over and knocked on and turned over. Uh, and then they'd go back to a scrum, which would take a while to set. So it was a frustrating game in a lot of ways, but the weather did sort of uh, ease up at half time, and it did seem to dry up a little bit in the second half. And unfortunately, that kind of allowed England to sort of run away with things, um, yeah, which was a little bit unfortunate for the Wallaroos. But we'll sort of focus on um, what what were your overall thoughts from the performance from the Wallaroos? Look, there are a few a few areas, and there's an immense amount of pride that they'll have with the uh, experience that they have had throughout this tournament and many of the moments throughout, particularly, obviously, the pool round games that they'll they'll hold on to and they'll treasure. Um, I'm pretty sure that M. Chan- M. Chancellor has scored one of the best tries for Australian rugby uh, at a World Cup. It was an incredible team try, and I loved how far she just slid. <laughs> she dived in for the try. Um, but there's yeah, a few I mean, things. For, for me, that try is up there with that Guido try in uh, the 2015 World Cup when... Yep. They um, cemented the victory against England and kicked them out. Unfortunately, it wasn't yep. the same effect this week that it was the, the one the quality. Sort of consolation try for the Wallaroos, yep. but it was yep. it was a great little bit of back play and an interchange with the forwards and the backs and for Emily yep. Chancellor to get that try. And I think she slid about 15, 20 metres on her stomach <laughs> uh, to, to get it in as well. Yep. So look, a few points, a few points that I do kind of want to unpack is um, our line out was just horrific throughout the game. Adiana Talakai only had um, four successes out of the 10 throws that she fed in. And a couple of those were pretty messy ball at the same time. Um, Our scrum was getting pushed back pretty significantly off our own ball. Our exits were really, really poor. 38% of our exits from 22 failed. Um, And 
I mean, we brought Pauline Piliai-Rasabale into 15 in order to provide a different kicking option and she kicked more than Arabella McKenzie. Um, but it didn't seem to make any significant difference because partly because of the conditions, partly because we were always on the back foot, they weren't able to gain any significant um, distance on their clearance kicks and we just couldn't really get out of our own half. And it was really interesting, uh, I guess, from a tactical point of view as well, that they never went to Rasabale to take those place kicks. Uh, when we had penalties and uh, quick taps and things, it was always McKenzie that was taking those kicks to touch. And I know the conditions were bad and we have said that, but she wasn't making a lot of ground on those. She was making maybe five meters, if that. Uh, she was struggling just to get the ball over the touchline, really. Uh, but we saw in open play that Rasabale was clearing it from the 22 quite effectively and getting big meters on the ball. So it was interesting that they didn't sort of on the fly make that decision to swap the kickers over and let Rasabale take some mm -hmm. of those kicks to touch because we weren't making meters. And sometimes there was, there was one or two points where the Wallaroos actually ended up like kicking it nearly straight out from where the mark was. The, just to talk about some of the players that really stood up, I mean, we, we, we've been focusing on the Wallaroos so much over the last couple of weeks because, I mean, we know them so much better than the other teams. <laughs> but you can't go past within this performance. Uh, Marley Packer, who got a hat-trick of tries, 23 carries for 105 run metres, the largest across the entire game. And in the conditions that this match was played in, 105 run metres is next level. Like, that's just incredible. So an absolutely massive, massive performance, particularly from a number seven as well. It's not as though she's a backline player that's making runs off, like, taking a kick or something like that. Um, everything she's doing is in traffic. So massive, massive performance from her. Um, I think, again, we just saw the continued efforts of players like... Um, Grace Hamilton and Chancellor, our back row, were just immense throughout the whole game. Yeah. I thought Grace Kemp playing the full 80 was really, really impressive in, again, really trying conditions. So the fact yeah, that um, I mean, M. She Chancellor got... didn't play the full minutes for the first time ever. Yeah, I was going to say Grace Kemp on that on that point, she got two or three, uh, she saved two or three tries just from holding them up over yeah. the line, which was, which was really impressive. Yeah, so look, there are some individual performances from players across the team, but you just know that the Wallaroos are going to be really disappointed that um, that was the game that they get knocked out of, uh, knocked out from mm. um, as a result of. So that's, that's just really disappointing because speaking with Piper Duck last week, they were just so full of confidence that they could really disrupt England. And we didn't really get to see that. England were dominant in territory, dominant in, in um, possession, yeah. and really were just able to enforce their game style onto the Wallaroos, who weren't able to force their own way back into the game and actually get some quick ruck ball and quick speed. I mean, you saw the first time that they actually got some momentum up, quick ruck ball, a bit of width on the play. Arabella McKenzie, lovely pass out wide. Um, was it to... Adiana Takai or maybe Liz Partu, I think it was, that takes a gap, pass it inside to Grace Hamilton, pass it back out again. Oh, yeah, that's um, Yep. To M. Chancellor. It was just, just absolutely brilliant. Um, so you saw what this Waterloo's team could do if they had phase play, bit of possession, got England on the back foot, but just didn't happen enough. And I think one, I mean, we have, we've spoken about the weather being an issue for both teams, but really that element that this English team is professional and they have got that conditioning under their belt, they were able to adapt to the conditions a lot better than the Wallaroos were. And yep. we just saw that from the amount of ball in hand that the English women were able to sustain and apply yep. multiple phases where the Wallaroos, particularly in that first half, 
couldn't get two or three phases of play together without someone dropping and turning it over. So it was very frustrating for them. It would have been nice to have seen what could have happened if there was a dry track for both of these teams to play on. Mm, But realistically, like the English women, their maul and scrum are so dominant and they're scoring so many points in this competition just through their forward dominance. And that's one area that the Wallaroos, whilst they've been getting better at, have not been great at this tournament. So I think realistically, it was always going to be a bit of a result like this, regardless of the weather. Um, But you know, some of the Wallaroos women really did step up and there's some big names that have come out of this tournament that we're talking about that, you know, Bien Tarita and Shani Williams, Laurie Kramer, these girls that, uh, Pauline Rasabale, like these girls that aren't necessarily household names going into this tournament, but now people are talking about them and, and they're starting to show what they can do on this level. So it, it hasn't been a disappointing tournament for the Wallaroos at all. They can definitely hold their heads high and say that they put in some really good performances and it'll be really interesting to see what they can do in the next few years moving into that next World Cup in three years' time. Uh, one yep. person I did want to shout out before we move off was Sarah Hunter, the number eight for mm. um, the Red Roses. The captain, she's also now officially the most capped English player. I think even female player, female yep. player in history. I think it was 153 was her caps this week. So she got a nice meat pie as well for her efforts. But, you know, she's just <laughs> going from strength to strength and this team is just getting better and better. So one question I'll ask you before we, we sort of wrap up this chat and move to the Wallabies. Uh, from this performance we saw this week and the tournament as a whole, are England the clear favourites moving into this next step of the competition? Do you, do you see any team being able to sort of challenge them and maybe take that title away from them? Yeah, I see New Zealand being able to. Um, I think the the New Zealand backline is just absolutely incredible. And so if they're able to play in an up-tempo way that prevents England from playing the more set-piece dominated style that we saw uh, against the Wallaroos, then New Zealand, uh, the Black Ferns have a chance, we, without a doubt in my mind. I remember saying in the podcast that we had with Squidge that, oh, by the way, Sarah Hunter's 138th cap. Okay. Um, that she got 138. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I remember saying with Squidge that for me, England haven't entirely impressed in some of their games, mm-hmm. um, particularly the match against France. And he, he attributed that quite specifically to French defence. Um, I'm just not sold on how good the English attack is at breaking through a really solid defensive line, which also has a strong set piece. And the Wallaroos really struggled, uh, like you mentioned in the scrum and mall defence, line-out defence on the weekend. So yep. we weren't particularly effective there. I don't think New Zealand will present those same weaknesses. So I think, yeah, New Zealand are a chance to take away from this England team. And it is exciting to see that these next two weeks, so this weekend is the semi-finals and the next weekend is the, the grand final and the... Um, third place playoff matches, but uh, they're both being played at Eden Park. So that's another great opportunity for New Zealand fans and rugby fans in general, just to kind of get around the Women's World Cup and get there if you yep. can and um, and give both teams your support. So looking at this weekend, we've got the first semifinals between Canada and England. That's uh, being kicked off at 4.30 our time on Saturday afternoon. We've then got New Zealand hosting France as the second semifinal of the night. Um, that's kicking off at 7.30. So both of those uh, are being played at Eden Park. There are no conflicting All Blacks games this week to have to worry about which game you're going to watch. (laughs) So get behind the New Zealand women or the English women, whichever way you're uh, sort of inclined, 
uh, do tune in and see which way this goes because this has been a great tournament and I'm sure there's, there's, there's at least two or three more great games of rugby to come in this tournament. Without a doubt. And before we move on, I just want to do a bit of a call out and say um, the Warriors have been incredible this World Cup. Um, for all the challenges that they faced over the last couple of years, they've put in performances that we as Australian rugby fans should be really, really proud of. And it's a massive credit to them and their entire uh, Warriors organization so i guess the question is for us what do we do from here as rugby fans how do we how do we support the women and that'll be really really important when the next super w season comes around to make sure that uh, you as a rugby punter are able to get out to as many super w games as possible buy the merch talk about it on social media get as much as many friends and family along to the games as you possibly can and just recognize that unless we are active in providing a support for the women's game it's going to be a lot harder for them to get the funding and the sponsorships and the like that they require to get to the level they deserve to be at in regards to that so um get out to the games support the women as much as you possibly can when the super w comes up and make sure that for all the games that are in australia for the Wallaroos you get out and you go to those matches because they deserve our support. Very well said. Now, we we are a bit constrained by time this evening, so there is so much we could talk about. We would love to unpack the whole Wallaroos World Cup performance, and we might be able to do that in a future pod. Uh, We might also do a bit of a preview next year when the Super W sort of fixtures are announced and we have an idea of what type of competition we're looking at. But uh, for now, let's uh, move into the Wallabies game. So the Wallabies kicked off their Autumn Nation series this weekend against uh, Scotland. They they were playing at BT Murrayfield in Scotland. Uh, Full-time, 16 to 15 to Australia. Um, Half-time score was 6 to 5 to Australia as well. So this was a very tightly contested game, and, and the score did change hands a few times throughout this. Overall... Uh, Ando, and you've you had a chance to watch this game. Did you think mm-hmm. that the Wallabies deserved to come away with the victory this week? Oh, look, with the stupidity of Tony Alatupo's um, hands in and hands in a rock or hands knee, on the ground, knees, uh, elbows on the ground. Oh, yeah. in the fo- like second last minute of the game in kicking territory, I yeah, we thought we were very very lucky to get away with it. Um, that being said, Scotland weren't great either. The thing that they did and they did incredibly well was to put immense amounts of ruck pressure on the Australian attack, particularly within the first half. We adjusted somewhat well in the second. Uh, So I don't think this is a game that either team particularly deserved to win, which obviously comes down to to the tightness of the result. In a lot of ways, this felt like uh, there was more on the line than there really was. Like it kind of felt like a semi-final or a quarter-final at a Rugby World Cup that both teams were more afraid of losing the game than going out there to try and win it. And uh, it, it, it was unusual in that, as we said, the, the score did change hands two times, and uh, well, multiple times. And Scotland actually scored two tries to what Australia's one, but Australia still was able to win it at the very end there. So uh, it, it wasn't a great performance by Australia. It wasn't a great performance by Scotland. But in the end, Australia did enough to be able to get the victory. And a little bit of uh, gamemanship or good skill set by Nick White at the end there to able to drill the ball straight into touch from uh, the reset was was very handy because we've we've come to talk about a lot this year around how the Wallabies have been on the other side of those 50-50 calls or the unlucky bounces of the ball. So it was good for once and hopefully we can put that behind us. 
but for once we had a few calls go our way that uh that ball going into touch and then that ball uh from the penalty where it, they didn't find touch but it sort of bounced between two scottish defenders to, to yeah. go over and we got the line out throwback yep yep there, there was a few very lucky points there. Um, so just talking on a couple of those things, I think we do need to acknowledge the uh, refereeing performance of uh, Luke Pierce. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke Pierce here? Yep. He, he was great. He was really, really good throughout this game. He's got an excellent manner in the way that he communicates with players on both from both sides. He um, is fairly even-handed in his... Um, in the deliberations that he makes. It doesn't really seem to favour one team or the other. Uh, The thing that I found really, really confusing was the uh, yellow card decision Mm. that was um, given. I'm having a mental blank on the Scottish player right now uh, to young, to young in the 55th minute. Um, I don't, believe that in the law book or the guidelines that there's any reference to softer parts of the body being a mitigating factor from a red to a yellow. So whether it's the fleshier bicep or the slightly less fleshy uh, where the bicep meets the shoulder, I don't (laughs) think that's a thing. So there's a part of me that loves that is like looking to try and mitigate down because um, it wasn't overly reckless. It's not one of the worst things that we've seen um, in regards to those types of tackles, but I thought he was stretching it, to it find wasn't, that but reason. The, and I guess the thing that's frustrating most people with this call is that we had a, a very, very, very similar incident in the game between the All Blacks and Japan the night before where Brody Retallick does nearly the same thing. The defending player in that instance is over the ball, so he's he's jackling. Yeah, it's and, him and I. Yep. Yeah, and, and Retallick runs in from from a fair way to try and clear him out, connects shoulder to head, and so he ends up getting a red card. Now, when you freeze both of those down, they look very similar. And in real time, they look even more similar. So the fact that one was pretty much given a red card straight away without too much mitigation, the other one, the referee's interpretation, were trying to find ways as to mitigate down. Now, I don't personally have any issue with them mitigating out of red cards. I think we've seen too many red cards given this year for issues that potentially could have been yellow. So I have no problem with them mitigating down. The issue comes with consistency. And if we're going to do that, let's do that consistently across this whole Autumn Nation series. Let's not let one referee sort of mitigate things down and go from yellow card to penalty. Don't be ridiculous. You're asking for consistency. How good was um, <laughs> check out Nelson Dale on Twitter and the timing that he gave for the taking of that final penalty kick, which was missed by Scotland, yep. um, how it went beyond the 60 seconds, I think, that's allowed, yep. um, just showing how stupid Matthew Renau's call was against yeah. us um, previously. So, look, uh, I now think one what area we can I wanted, do... One area I wanted to say just in terms of refereeing and, again, going back yep. to Luke Pearce, one thing that I thought he did very well in this game was he was clearly getting frustrated with Australia's discipline. And that's one yeah. area as an Australian fan that's really worrying us. Like we've been talking about this for the last, what, six months consistently that the Wallabies need to improve their discipline. And in some yeah. ways I felt as a fan like this was our worst example in this game. There were so many instances where a penalty has been given and two or three players would jump up and give the referee a mouthful. And Luke Pierce handled it very well. He spoke to Slipper. He told him how that was happening. He indicated that, you know, uh, at one point he had given Kellaway a penalty and Kellaway's hopped up and run back. And 
he was actually having a, a pretty... Argument with the AR. Yeah. Well, he wasn't... I didn't personally think he was having an argument. I thought that he was just asking, like, what did I do wrong? How could I do it better? It didn't seem like it was a heated <laughs> argument. But That's very generous. The referee, the referee did say, look, he's, he's given my AR a hard time. And so that was handled really well. I thought the way that Luke Pierce was able to communicate that and sort of put it back on the players and say, this is what you're doing. Let's fix this. Whereas yep. Matthew Rennell earlier in the year didn't handle that as well. And he got frustrated by the way that the Wallabies were reacting to him and to calling him out and things. And so that's yep. where he kind of made that rash decision at the end of that Bledisloe game. So yep. again, well done to Luke Pierce. But yeah, the worrying thing is... Where is our leadership going at the moment? Why are players feeling that they can stand up and, and mouth off to the referee as much as they are when they're clearly being told by the referees not to do it, but it's consistently happening week in, week out? Yeah, I wonder if it's slightly a lack of experience um, that we've just been so desperate to win matches that they're um, struggling to control their emotions or have that calm approach that's required and you see from a lot of the really top teams. Yeah. But that being said, I don't want to talk about the ref anymore. Um, there was some great rugby that was played, so I kind of want to move on to that too. Yep. Um, so <clears throat> a couple of really interesting things within this game was the way, like I mentioned before, Scotland were able to really disrupt our attacking rucks. And so we saw early on Tate McDermott, who'd been elevated into the starting team, have really excellent involvements. A couple of early line breaks where you had some good runners um, charging at the Scottish line at pace. He was able to dummy in and just kind of cut in through a half gap around the ruck there. Um, absolutely loved what he brought within the opening 15 or so minutes, but he then started to fade really significantly with his involvements and he was fairly anonymous with his involvements after about 15 to 20 minutes. And I'm not sure um, if that's entirely his fault. Mm. I'd, I'd suggest that it's actually because of the really disrupted rock ball that he was having to deal with, that he wasn't able to do the clean service that he would obviously be wanting to as a scrum half or to have those little sniping opportunities where he's able to um, be running at a retreating defensive line rather than having to kind of pick up a bobbling ball that's her foot has shoved out of the ruck and he's just having to shovel it on. So um, I'm not sure if Nick White would have done much better in those circumstances, although at times um, Tate's passing game wasn't wasn't the best within within this match. There are a few kind of balls to shoelaces. Um, handling was pretty good from the Wallabies in those scenarios. But yeah, just uh, he, he had a mixed game. First 15, 20 minutes, excellent. After that, not so good. Yeah, that um that try to I've just had a mind blank and I don't have the name up in front of me. Uh number ten, uh Kinghorn. That try Kinghorn, that he got yep. through where he, he towed it twice and then ended up diving uh, yeah, in the yep. end goal. That was exactly uh, unfortunately caused by bad passing by Tate McDermott from a scrum. We had a really good set piece. We'd won the ball and he threw a pretty horrendous pass to Hunter Paisami who then regathered it, threw it back inside to Bernard Foley who didn't uh, handle it well, knocked it on, it's towed through. So it was unfortunate because I thought, as you said, I thought um, McDermott started really well and the few yeah. line breaks that he was making, I was... That's something that we haven't seen a lot of this year from our Wallaby scrum halves, that they haven't had that sniping ability. They've been more looking to kick the ball or to yep. distribute it to our outside back. So that was really exciting. But as you kind of said, uh, our just our lack of urgency at the breakdown and our giving Tate that clean ball really impacted the way that he was able to uh, continue to have that ascendancy at the breakdown there. Um, outside yep. of Tate McDermott, who else from a Wallabies perspective were you impressed with? 
I thought Jed Holloway was quite strong. Yeah. Um, I was chatting with my later work today, Carlos, and he he was really, really loving the performance that Jed uh, put in. thought Nick Frost actually was yeah. really, really strong in the lineouts particularly, as well as just having a great engine throughout the entirety of the match. So um, he he was excellent. Yeah. Um, considering we, we were a bit concerned about our lineout mm. um, coming into this game, and yet, yeah, it was, it was really, really strong. Stole a couple of lineouts, won, I think, all of our own lineouts. Um, just, I can't see the stats right now, but I can't see us any turning over any. Oh, no, we lost one lineout. So either, either way, that's still pretty decent. Um, and I thought Lenny Kitao was solid in defence, as always. Um, a player who I think was fairly anonymous was Tom Banks. Unfortunately, Um, he he really impressed in his showings in the Australia A matches, particularly with what seemed to be a bit of newfound pace. Mm. But perhaps from a bit of the uh, disjointed nature of our attack with the ruck pressure and the kind of messy um, attacking ball that we were getting, we really didn't get any smooth or open backline plays. And yeah, we just didn't have any significant face play that could bring Tom Banks into it. So he was fairly anonymous in attack. Yeah, and it wasn't also, uh, I think it was just a kind of theme of the game that the fullbacks weren't getting that much involved because Jock Campbell came on to make his debut and I can't really think of too many times where he actually got his hands on the ball or had too many involvements. Like, I know he only had, what, 20 minutes, if that, um, if that off yeah. the bench. Yeah, so I, I just think it was a, a sort of a theme of the night for the fullbacks that they weren't being utilised as well as they could have been. But at the same time, in saying that, there were a few defensive errors that Tom Bakes made where he was caught out of position. And that uh, decision to kind of bat the ball, uh, which resulted in a knock-on, which then went into touch and then gave Scotland a perfect uh, line-out like five minutes from the try line was just inexcusable at this level. And we need a fullback to not know when it's the right time to either go for that ball or to not and let it bounce over his head and just let it go out. So it was was unfortunate, but... um, Another player that I was sort of found or thought that wasn't having a great game and didn't have a whole lot of impact was Hunter Paisami. And again, I wonder if that comes down to the the lack of game time that he's had this year and how he has been sort of behind um, Lenny Kitao, uh, Samu Karevi, and now Fakedi, that he's yep. now getting his chance, but he's been, he hasn't played minutes for a long time, that when he came on, he didn't have a whole lot of impact. And when he did, he was giving away penalties and potential yellow cards by going for that ball. Yeah, he was our highest um, penalty magnet. So he gave away three penalties across the game. Pretty lucky. Not lucky, I guess. He, he had the yellow card rescinded, which I haven't ever seen before. <laughs> I actually thought that was really like, you know, when refs show that they're human. Yeah. And they're like, we gave you this red card because we didn't think there was anyone in behind. So it was a line break opportunity. But then we saw that there was a player inside. So it was a wrong decision. So we called you back on. Well, the like, whole actually the whole what? That's I, didn't, awesome. I didn't think Luke Pierce in his head had any intention of giving a card. He let it play yeah. out. He said, "Let's play. Let's see what happens." He said that a few times actually, which I thought was interesting. That the players were kind of yelling at him, like, "It's a knock on. It's a knock on. What are we doing?" He's like, "No, no. Let's just let's play this out and see what happens." And then they'd kick the ball away, and then he yep. sort of go back for the, the infringement. But it, it never felt like he was going to give a card. It felt like the TMO was kind of questioning things, and then. When they started looking a bit more, they realized that there was a reason not to give a card and that mm. there was adequate defenders there. But yeah, again, another one of those consistency calls because if that had happened in Super Rugby Pacific this year, most likely it would have been a card straight away and we wouldn't have even gone to the TMO. Yep. All right. So I guess looking ahead then, what changes need to be made for France? For me, um, straight out, bring in Skelton for um, Caden Neville. 
Yeah. Uh, I don't think Neville was bad, but I think if we're going up against a freaking monster French pack, then getting Will Skelton in there to help with set piece and carry will just be really, really important. Skelton um, also just needs to get as many minutes as he can in a Wallabies yep. jersey these next three tests. That's he's only available for the three games. Exactly. So he so plays give him every minutes. minute he can. Hopefully he doesn't yep. pick up an injury and let's see if he's got what we need. Um, yep. Because we've, we're starting to build some depth there in the second row. So he's going to need to come in and impress straight away to sort of yep. push for an inclusion in that World Cup squad. Yeah, exactly. And he's meant to be one of the former locks in European rugby over the last few years at La Rochelle. So brilliant, but we've just got to see that transferred onto the international stage. Everyone's like, oh, he has to be starting for the Wallabies every single time. I'm like, he doesn't perform when he's playing for the Wallabies. Like, it's kind of like a Banks thing. Fantastic at club level, but hasn't translated well, it's, yet it's, it's to the international It's kind of like saying that, that Damien McKenzie should be selected as the fullback for the All Blacks from Japan because he's playing well <laughs> in the Japan comp, right? It's, slightly. I mean, playing for La Rochelle is a little wrong, bit different. Slightly different. But... <laughs> slightly. Um, okay, so that's, that's my first kind of change that I'd be doing. Um, for me, part of it, the challenge is... I don't think anybody else would have been better than Banks at 15 this week with the way that our attack malfunctioned. I think so would have been better. Well, I just don't think anyone at 15 would have got yep. much game time, yep. uh, would have got much ball in hand. And so they wouldn't have had many attacking opportunities. So if you're taking out Banks because of his performance this week, I think that's a little bit harsh because I just don't think he was given the opportunities Um that he needed to kind of show himself. Sure, okay, he'll go looking for them, whatever. Um, but if we're going to keep nine and ten as is, so Tate and Nard, then I'd probably be suggesting that you keep Banks in there for one more game. And it's kind of like a, a bit of a do or die thing to see if he can have more uh, of an improved performance and better involvement. Then if not, you're out. Campbell, you're in. Yep. Um, and then give Jock the next three tests. Yeah, that, that's one way of going about it. I also think maybe you bring Reese Hodge into fullback um, and you then replace or you push uh, Kellaway into... Was he 14 or 11 this week? Kellaway was 14. Yeah, so you leave him at 14 and then we, we sub Tom Wright for uh, Mark Nwanganitawasi. I, yeah. I didn't think Tom Wright also had a whole lot of involvement this week and none of the outside backs did, but he has. we've seen what he can do in the last few tests and he hasn't shown his hand that much. So I would yep. like we've seen from the performance in Australia A that Nwanganidawazi has potential to score tries. Now yep. it, this is going to be a big test. This is probably this and Ireland the next two tests are the biggest tests of this tour. So I don't know whether we bring Nwanganidawazi in to start for that, or we put him on the bench and see if he can come on. But he needs minutes at some point because we need to test him. I just don't know if we test him against France. Yeah, interesting call. Interesting call. Um, up front, I don't see any changes getting made. Um, I don't think Tupo deserves a starting spot yet. His form still isn't good enough. He hasn't yep. made enough positive impact off the bench, so keep the front row. And I mean, look, as... we're, we're sitting here talking about how we were lucky to get away with the victory. If they kicked that goal, which they should have, Scotland, we're talking about a loss, and we're probably talking a lot harsher on some of the performances, and Taniela Tupo knows not to give a penalty like that away, and so there's no excuse for him to do that. Yeah, correct. Absolutely correct. Um, so aside from that, you probably well. Who's your nine ten combo for next week? Are you keeping Tate and Nard, or would you be changing to what White and Lolasio have that Brumbies connection? Look, I, I didn't think Foley had a great game this week for the Wallabies, but he was consistent in his kicking, and overall, that's what won us the game. 
So I don't yeah. know if Noel Alessio would have been any better, and I don't know if he would have been better off the tee either. If we miss one of those kicks, then we lose the game. So mm-hmm. um, for that reason alone, I don't think we can choose anyone else. But yep. I've seen some comments floating around, and that's what probably will be said in the locker room when we get to it shortly, that uh, what Bernard Foley, apart from his kicking, is bringing in around the field isn't any different to what Noel Alessio or Ben Donaldson can bring. So yeah. players yeah. are saying, let's just cut that Band-Aid off blood these new guys and just give them as much game time before the World Cup next year and see what they can do with it. Yeah, really interesting. Well, do you want to dive on into the locker room then? Let's uh, let's just get into it. So the first Easy. one comes to us from uh, Kick the Ref in the Ghoulies on Twitter. And this is more of a general comment. It's not, it is directed towards us, but his thoughts were, so Blue Sky thinking for any pods this week, um, to clean up the rucks, defenders and attackers have to roll away if they're off their feet. Only the tackle bloke can have a lie down. That would go a long way to fixing the ruck. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think anything that can kind of provide a bit more um, clarity around what's happening at the ruck time would be really, really helpful. Yep. Um, so it could, it could well be an option, but I've never stuck my head into those dark places. So I'll let other more experienced people <laughs> provide their me, guidance. That, you don't want to. Happen. From, from no, someone who has done nice. that, it's not fun. It's not it's fun. Not fun. No. Uh, next is a question that, uh, uh, well, this is more of a, a thought bubble that's come to us from Christy and Willie K on Twitter. So a few thoughts from the game. Banks is done. I know he's been out for a while, but he's, he's, he was positionally terrible, which led to some pretty big errors. Um, he doesn't understand why Noah isn't starting. Obviously, Rennie doesn't think he's ready. So it begs the question, why is he even there? It's not like he hasn't had any opportunities. Uh, third point, Frost was outstanding and it's worth sticking with him. Holloway and Hooper were both very good. Uh, fourth point, Tate was a bit of a menace at the at first, but Nick White lifted them when he came on and he's better. And fifth point, which we've sort of spoken about already, but the yellow card was red every day of the week and twice on Sundays. Any yep. thoughts around any of that, Ando? Yeah, yeah, I think um, I don't exactly agree with Banks, but I'm a bit of a fanboy for Banks as well um, insofar as I just remember when he was getting crapped on by all and sundry and I was defending him then. So I think there's a bit of that left over within my veins. Uh, but Noah, I personally think Noah should be starting. Um, we've, we kind of know what we're going to get from Foley at this point in time. And like, like you mentioned before with Noah, he needs game time. He needs experience. And if Quade Cooper is the choice starting 10, then Noah should be the next best option. Um, and he needs a game time to be able to do that. So uh, personally, that's that's my view. And then I actually think that Nick White is better than Tate McDermott. So I think mm. Nick White um, should be ahead of him. But I also do kind of like the running game that Tate brings. So if they want to uh, keep him in there for the next game and then take him off maybe at 50 minutes, yeah. um, that could be an option. That's the only thing I was going to say. I, I agree. Nick White is better than Tate McDermott. And Nick White is head and shoulders above the next best nine in Australia at the moment. He is our first Ryan choice. Ryan Lonigan's not even the squad, mate, so calm down. Nah, next best, next best. <laughs> <laughs> if he's not in the squad, he's not even good. Um, nah, nah, Australia um, captain, mate. But I think it worked quite well this week that, that having McDermott start and then bringing White on, it changed the dynamic a little bit. And it is, it's always hard to tell when players are coming off the bench whether they're actually having an impact because they're playing well or they're just getting an opportunity to play against tired opposition. The game's a bit looser than it was at the start. So we talk about this yep. every single week, but yep. I, I did personally think that the McDermott uh, starting and Nick White off the bench did work this week, and I wouldn't hate to see it 
again next week. Um, Sheepy on Twitter, this is a Wallaroos question. So do we feel this match was winnable for the Wallaroos if they were given more match time and better treatment in the last two years? They're not even pros, just not had Wallaroo matches cancelled and a decent Super W season. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I think they would have had a chance because if you look about it, what areas did we get really dominated in? set piece and what are the areas that are the things that you just need time in the saddle as a team to be able to um to be able to respond to encounter it's set piece defense and so you look at the line out our mall d and then our scrum that's where we got dominated yeah but if you actually think about where those were prior to the world cup they were a lot worse than they are now but now that the women have had basically six weeks together training living with each other, training kind of every other day or most days of the week, that has improved massively. So extend that out in terms of game time within Wallaroos camp and good super rugby um, super rugby women's competition seasons. They would be far further ahead of where they are now and could have given this game a really big, really big run. Yeah, I am really excited to see how the Wallaroos uh, develop over the next few years. And I think they're in for a really big tournament in England in a few years' time. So it'll be great to see. And hopefully yep. RA do pull their finger out and, and give them the backing that they so deserve. Or find the cash way, or get a sponsor. Yeah. Get a sponsor or get something. Get a sponsor. Yep. Can't be that hard. Um, another question <laughs> from Sheepy who's a follow-up. But this is a Wallabies question. So he's allowed to have two this week. Um, Hunter Paisami, he came to the Wallabies with a bang as the player to build our squad around. Now he's invisible most matches. Has he hit his peak just below international level or is there something he can work on to bring back his God level aura he once had? Yeah, it's really, really interesting. Um, I'm not too sure and I'd love to do a bit of a deep dive to look at some of his absolute barnstorming matches and compare it to some of his more recent international involvements to see what is it that's gone wrong and what is it that's uh, diminished within his game because his... His defensive plays haven't been as impactful as they sometimes are. He often kind of bounces off tackles or um, drops off them. And he hasn't had as many barnstorming runs, cutting across at angles, breaking through weak shoulders from what we've seen previously. So I, I don't know what the issue is there, but I would love to get some insight from people that do that could identify what it is. Um, maybe it's a confidence thing. He's I a have, young guy. I have a little Might bit of a theory similar. and it's something that I've been thinking about the last few weeks and it's a bit of a worrying trend that the Australian rugby kind of finds himself in at the moment is that I have questions around the Queensland Reds and their development system. If we look at the players that they have coming out of their pathways at the moment and the players that are making international uh, rugby or getting selected in the Wallaby squads, no one is really firing at the moment. Hunter Paisami. Take McDermott, but there's questions there around. His, there's an asterisk there because of his selection. He uh, just hasn't got much game time, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Tate McDermott is probably doesn't fit into this as much. Um, who else do we have? We've got uh, Harry Wilson. Um, James O'Connor is injured, so that doesn't really help. But even when he was in the squad, he wasn't playing like Dave Rennie wanted him to, and he got dropped. Um, yep. So there are questions that these players two years ago or a year ago were firing for the Wallabies and they were having really big impacts. They've gone back to Queensland. They've had a super rugby season, which in a lot of ways was disappointing. They've come to the international arena again and they're now not being selected in the match day 23 because they're not doing what Dave Rennie wants and they're not having that impact that they once were. 
And he forgot probably the most important person within that, Jordan Pattaya. Yeah, as Jordan Pattaya's well. the other one and Vunavala yep. as well. I mean, yeah. again, he's another one of, with the athletes because of the injuries. Well, yeah. But yeah. he should have been developed in that system and he should have been given game time. But again, injury. Jordan Pattaya fits that mold perfectly. Jordan Pattaya, Hunter Paisami. Those two players should have the potential to be world-class. They should be yeah. up there and we should be talking about them consistently every week as game-breaking players. But they're just not firing at the moment. And why is it? And why is it that those players are coming out of the same Super Rugby Club? Just as questions there. Yeah, I wonder if part of it's a confidence thing because we know that with Jordan Pattaya that he, um, I mean, okay, we know that from the outside with Jordan Pattaya that he seems to be a player that um, can get a bit of a kind of cloud around him and perform well below his best. But when he's on fire, he absolutely shines. And yeah. I feel like that's a similar thing with Hunter Paisami. Um, he's had a bit of a troubled history in his early rugby days. Um, it's been been pretty challenging for him. Um, and so I just hope that he's got the capacity to um, have both of them have the capacity to have good people around them, yeah. a lot of mentoring, a lot of support um, to enable them to um, mature really well and to put their best foot forward because they're incredible players that just aren't performing the way That's that right. they... Uh, they aren't performing to the potential and the capacity that they've shown. That's right. And I don't want Queensland Red fans to jump on me and think that I hate the Queensland Reds and that there's some kind of agenda against but them. but anyway. I don't. I actually really like the Queensland Reds. I said last sure. year, if anyone listens, they were my second team. And I want to see the Reds do well. So I'm just, it's worrying that they're not having this impact on the Wallabies like some of the other players are coming what, through what, now. What the audience doesn't know is that you were designing a new background to our logo earlier and you put all of the Super Rugby colours on except for the Queensland Reds. Um, so you just really don't like them. Like, well, what's, I thought, what's the deal I there, thought we were just doing Australian rugby and, and I mean, there's talks about cutting a team. Look, we know we can't uh, cut the four, right, so yeah, yeah, should we yeah. just cut the reds? Like, they're not performing. Uh, okay. Didn't win a game in in crossover <laughs> last year. Anyway, anyway, let's get <laughs> back right, on anyway, track. Anyway. Let's get back on track. Next question from Michael Tomlinson on Twitter. We always talk about winning the collision, but is that really... But is the issue actually being the first one to support an attacking ruck? When the Scots were a man down and weren't contesting the ruck, we gained ascendancy quite easily compared when they had a full 15. Yeah, and that's a that's a really good point. Um, so there were numerous times uh, I've spoken about it like too many times this pod, but you know that idea of ruck pressure, the ball bobbling out, disrupted attacking play. Um, it a lot of the time the ball came out before our forward pods were ready, and so maybe only one forward would be available, and so they'd have to hit it up. But then the supporting players wouldn't be in place as well, and so we weren't able to get the. Um, our players to be the first ones at our own attacking rucks or they were getting there at the same time as the Scottish players. So there was a lot of uh, competition over the ball. It was an, it was definitely an issue. And so I think a lot of it is about securing of our own ball and getting that quick um, ruck ball to enable us to get Scotland onto the back foot. I mean, none of this is particularly surprising. As mm. such, if you can get quick ball, you get the defense tracking back. They have to be um, they have to be defending off their back foot, and so you get your ascendancy within a tackle. It really is one. Easy. It is one thing that is starting to build as a bit of a game plan of how to beat the Wallabies at the moment. We saw that in the English series that when England were able to disrupt our breakdown and, and disrupt our clean ball, we kind of yep. fell to pieces. So we've shown teams how to attack us. So we need to yep. be better in that area, and we need to make sure that we're getting there, securing our own ball and not allowing teams to disrupt it as, as easily. 
Um, yep. Lockie Mark on Twitter. Props to Foley for match winning 100% off the tee, but I fear it's papered over some serious cracks. He connected three. He conceded three turnovers and couldn't flatten the attack. Should he be given another start to gel with Tate, or do we give Noah or even Ben Donaldson a crack against France? And who plays nine? Oh, gosh. I mean, we spoke about it before. Um, if you're going for continuity, you keep 9-10 as the same. Um, so you go Tate and you go Nard because I'm not the biggest fan of chopping and changing a team week to week. Um, but I think our best team is probably White and Lolasiu. Mm. And the fact that they weren't picked for the first game just makes it hard. Um, so, I mean, I guess in yeah, some con- ways, like, Noah has won us a series against France. So... It's a different French team. True. It's a different, different French team that we're playing. Very different French team. No, no, like no Dupont last time and and that. But you know he, and, and he has done it. He's done it. So he really has. How good is it going up against um, Dupont and Entomac? That's going to be fantastic I'm to watch. I really. It's going to be scared. great. Uh, uh, Cactus back on Twitter. Are you are you done? Can we move on? We've got a few yeah, more. Yeah, 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 I'm done. Yeah, I'm, cool. done. I'm done. Cactus back on Twitter. Once dollars start flowing into Wallaroo, should we look to the AFLW for some big kickers? Struggling to exit was a big factor for most teams this World Cup, and we're fortunate to have an entire competition full of that skill. Wallabies should too, even just working with AFL coaches. It would really surprise me if uh, they didn't have access to um, AFL skills coaches. I know that the Sevens program do, because John Menenti was chatting to us about it um, on Twitter, which is pretty insightful. Uh, And I know it's something the Wallabies have done too. So I think they would have, uh, Rugby Australia would have the contacts to be able to make that happen for the Wallaroos too, in terms of just general AFL skills coaching. But I think that's a great shout, Cactus Back. I think it'd be a really, really good Mm -hmm. idea if the dollars were flowing to try and target two or three AFL players with good vertical leap and good kicking distance. Um, really, really simple skills that you need for the fullback position. Um, plus they'd be used to covering a lot of ground and have pretty good handling skills. So yeah, yeah good shout. It is, it's, it's a really good shout. And just on that point around the Wallabies and their connection to AFL coaching, uh, we have had Mick Byrne in the Wallaby setup before. He was our skills coach and Mick Byrne is now current head coach of the Indrua. So um, he was part of the Wallabies set up with Checker and he has an AFL background. He was an AFL yep. coach previously. Yep. So that is something that has been happening in the past. Currently, Rennie doesn't have anyone that I know of that has an AFL background, but it's a great opportunity there. And I can, I don't know why we don't use it if it is available to us. Um, Shane Wright on Twitter, Nick Wright, Nick White, I think he means, deserves that great play, deserved a match-winning kick in the Bledisloe. Who's Wallaby's number one, number nine? Um, I think it's Nick Nick White. Nick I Wright? I think it's Nick White. <laughs> Nick Wright? No, Nick White um, is my number one, number nine. Not Ryan Lonigan? No, no. I love Ryan Lonigan. Don't He's get me two. wrong. He's number, He's number two. two. Okay. Yep, number uh, two. Moving on. We've still got a few more. Thanks, to everyone, for getting your questions. Yeah, this, this is week. awesome. It's awesome to oh, talk through them. Cameron Marling on Twitter. Is Slipper still the answer to who is our captain? He seems like a great bloke and a highly respected player. However, in his opinion, or in Cameron's opinion, he lacks influence over our players and refs. He was also bent over with hands on knees while Hoops was carving up for 80 minutes. Yeah, I still think he is a captain. Um, I think you can't rush Hoops back into any um, type of official leadership role considering uh, it seemed to be a contributing factor to him needing time away from the game. So he's out of the equation. Who else is a well-respected, experienced player who's a guaranteed starter in his position? Maybe Alan Alatoa. 
because mm-hmm. um, Tupo's form's dropped off so much. But if Tupo's form picks up, Allen's not guaranteed his starting spot. Well, I mean, saying um, that if Angus Bell puts in a big year next year, there's no guarantee Slipper starts either. True, true. I think that Slipper's probably got enough runs on a board to yeah, hold his starting yeah. spot for a fair bit longer. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think anybody else. Um, White doesn't have good rapport with the referee. Um, nobody in the back line has that experience at a super rugby level, and I think that that's really important. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think Slipper is the only choice really yeah for the moment that that's the current that's the the captain that we need to have and that will be a big piece of work i think for dave rennie in this next super rugby season to kind of see who are the other leaders that are stepping up and and are sort of yep. pushing for that if uh, we get to a situation where slip is not available uh we'll move to our facebook comments now so tim foster says with sully vunavali not being selected for the wallabies end of season tour to the uk do we think he will stay and play for the Reds next year or walk out and sign with the NRL on big money, potentially going to the Redcliffe Dolphins or stay loyal and see out his contract? Would he get more money in the NRL? Much more. But considering the fact that he has barely played and doesn't have a good track record over the last two years? Yeah, but he was on big money when he came. Yeah, I know. Like, I'm he just was not already sure. on big money with Melbourne Storm before. Yeah, I'm just not sure he would get as much as he gets through RA. What is it, eight hundred thousand a year? I don't think um, he's even on that. He's on lower he's than not that, on that now. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, if he's going to make more money with the Dolphins, it wouldn't surprise me to see him go. Um, but uh, I'm not sure if he's going to be on big money when he goes back to the NRL because of his injury history and the lack of impact he's had over the last two years. Um, so. If, if he's going to be offered more, he'll go. If not, I don't think he will. Look, the thing uh, it comes down to me is I, I think Sully re-signed with the Queensland Reds and Rugby Australia with the kind of promise or the hope that he would be going on this spring tour this year and getting some minutes there. And so the fact that he hasn't been selected now kind of puts his Wallabies selection in doubt for the next year and a half. I yep. don't see him featuring for the Wallabies until... Unless if he keeps around until after the World Cup next year. So 2024 is probably his first crack. So Mate, in he, some ways, he, yep. You go, so you go. I was going to say in some ways, it's probably a financial, it's better for him financially to go to the NRL. I think he would be on big money. He was a big player when he came across. He'd won a number yep. of premierships with Melbourne. So be good for RA getting him off the books as well. Um, and the reality is he got outplayed by Noong and Itawase and even to a degree Peach as well in the Australia A program. So those two are the next two form wingers in Australian rugby. So he is, in my mind, behind both of them in a pecking yeah. order. Um, obviously, uh, for Marky Mark, the fact that he's on a tour and not Sui is easy, easy evidence for that. Uh, I think we're on to our final question. We are. And our final question comes in from Lincoln Adler. So been watching a lot of Australia A and Wallabies games and was thinking about the Tars back row situation. The Tars have Michael Hooper, Jed Holloway, Langy Gleeson, Lockie Swinton, Ned Hannigan, Will Harrison and Charlie Gamble. <laughs> Will Harris. Vying... Will Harris there. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought so actually. I just kept reading. Um, all vying for a starting spot in the back row. I mean, we do have Will Harrison too. He's not very big, but give him a shot at number eight if you we want We also to. have Harry Wilson as well. <laughs> it's crazy. The Wilson Harrys <laughs> and the Harry... Um, all yep, vying yep, for yep. a starting spot in the back row. Who do you start considering all are now Wallabies except Gamble who isn't eligible for Australia yet? His guess is four Holloway, five Hannigan... Six, Swinton or Gleeson. Seven, Hooper. Eight, Gleeson or Harris. 19, Harris or Swinton. And 20, Gamble. 
Um, mm. Yeah, that's a really tough one. I'm not confident that Swinton's going to be back. Oh, he is. I, is he back? Is he back yeah, training? Yeah, it's been confirmed he's back training and he's, he'll be playing some minutes for the Waratahs in their preseason matches at the end of this year. Oh, okay. That's yeah. really good. I was quite concerned because... Yeah, the Waratahs um, put out a, a presser last week saying that uh, Swinton's back, Har- Will Harrison's back, uh, Isaiah Parisi's will be back early next year and Will Harrison are all back training. So they officially yep. start their preseason next week. And all yep. of those players, I think uh, Parisi is early next year, but everyone else is fit and ready for preseason. Okay, cool. That's really positive then. Okay. So with that in mind, yeah, it's Holloway and Hannigan as the locking combination. Um, for mine, I think you can actually add Gamblers in as an option at six as well. I think with the um, the way in which having two really, like really forward, strong all-ball, on-ball yeah. threats would be really, really valuable. Um, I mean, we're seeing that in the way that players, teams are playing against the Wallabies at the moment. So having two absolute ruck monkeys as well as uh, Hannigan, who's decent over the ball as well, would be really, really uh, an interesting dynamic to play with. Um, and I think Swinton will probably be the bench spot because he needs to work his way back into the team after the injury and a time off that he's had. So Hooper, seven, and then... Look, Lange Gleeson was really, really good for Australia A. Um, part of me would love to see Harris start and then Gleeson force his way into the starting side. Like this year? Yeah, that's what happened yeah. this year. Yeah, I'd rather see Harris Harris kind of keep that starting spot a little bit longer um, to light a fire in Gleeson and see if he can uh, back it up for a second year and not, not just have one really good year. I guess what makes it things difficult for Gleeson particularly is that he's now on the Wallabies tour, so... He gets more weeks off when he gets back for preseason. So they usually come mm. back like mid-January. They have the end of December off and then the first few weeks of January. So if he was like Will Harris will be with DC doing preseason, working on the things that DC wants him to, seeing him play the trials, the internal trials, all those sorts of things. Whereas Gleason comes back and has to sort of push again to get above Will Harris. So I wouldn't be surprised if those first few trials next year against the Reds, I think we're playing them in um, Narrabri again. Um, if we play them, I wouldn't be surprised to see Will Harris start. Come round one, again, I also probably wouldn't be surprised to see Will Harris start. But I think Lange Gleeson is going to be a massive player in coming years and he has the potential to push uh, Will Harris completely off the radar and, and, and cement that number eight jersey uh, for the Waratahs. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, A lot of depth there. It's really exciting as a New South Welshman to sit here and talk about the depth that we've got in the back row. And particularly in the second row too, like we've signed some locks in the off season. So it'll be interesting to see. Oh, how mate, they... I wouldn't say we've got depth in the second row. <laughs> uh, we've got two players who neither of them are locks, but are playing there who are our starting best starting locks. Like Hannigan and Holloway are both back rowers who can yeah, play lock. Um, it's not as though they're out and out. They'll do a good job. They'll do a good, they'll do a decent job. But um, what I would give for someone like Isaac Rodder uh, to be <laughs> to be at the Waratahs that'd be incredible. Yeah. Or Nick Frost. He's a, oh, Nick Frost. He's a yeah, he'd be gold. Yeah. yeah, he is. Went to Knox. Yeah. Um, anyway, why don't we wrap it up there? All right, that's uh, that's the end of the pod for this week. So thanks everyone for getting to this point. We will be back next week. Um, we're not too sure how the rest of the spring yeah. tour will go in terms of availability. I've got some um, holidays coming up. Ando's got. Some work coming up. HSC time is difficult for teachers. HSC marking. Understand. So we will do our best to try and get a pod out to you every week, but we don't know how that will look and 
if we can get all of them out. But um, we're here this week. We'll do our it's best. It's been fun. We'll do our best. We will do our best. Thanks for getting involved, everyone. If you have any other questions that you want us to answer next week, do send them in. It's been fun. We love talking about rugby. We love talking about the questions that you have. So please do continue getting involved there. Do uh, share the pod with your friends. Let us let them know that mm-hmm. the Wallabies are on this spring tour and if there's anywhere that they need to go to learn about what's coming up, who's performing, who's not, it's Pick and Drive Rugby. So we are that place. Let your friends know. Share us around. Give us a review. It all helps with the algorithm. Um, Anything else from you, Ando, or are we good to sign off? I'm good to sign off. Thanks, mate. It's been a pleasure. All right. We'll see you all next week, everyone. Bye. Bye.